0: So we've all heard relationship versus religion. Uh, it's so overquoted that it's almost become meaningless. I mean, it is true. We're all about a relationship and not a religion. That's what Christianity is all about. It's not about one denomination or one church. It's about Jesus Christ himself. And that relationship is probably the most meaningful thing that most of you have experienced. It is the most meaningful thing that I have ever experienced. Paul says in Philippians 3, 7-8, he says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. So Paul is saying my relationship with Christ is so important to me that I consider every other thing on this planet trash compared to that relationship. Going on, I think that along with that whole confusion or, I guess, that meaninglessness that comes with quoting that relationship versus religion thing so many times, I guess we've almost developed a type of confusion about what does it really mean to have a relationship with Christ. Some people might say, oh, it means that I feel really close to Christ. What if you don't feel really close to Christ on a certain day? That feeling might not have so much to do with it. Some people might think it means whether I go to church every Sunday or not, and if I miss a Sunday, I'm not really on God's good side, and maybe we don't have a relationship. That's not the case. Some might think it means being near perfect, which I know I'm not, and most of you probably know you're not. That isn't the case either. So what does it really mean to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? It's, it's huge. Basically, it's pretty simple. In Second Corinthians 11.3, Paul said, But I fear, lest somehow has the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul is saying that a relationship with Christ is really a pretty simple thing. And he says don't get confused to the point where you make it something that's not simple. Don't add in this and that. Sometimes I think we've complicated it with too many events methods, opinions, books. A lot of those things are good, but sometimes we've let those things take the place of Jesus Christ himself. Have you ever done that? I have. I've I've gotten to a point where maybe I love C.S. Lewis as a writer. Well, sometimes if I'm not careful, C.S. Lewis can become my relationship with God, my walk with God. Uh, Sometimes going to church can become my walk with God. That's not what God intended. God intended a relationship with you personally. So don't let those other things take over that relationship called all those things, even good things rubbish or trash compared to knowing Jesus. So there's a big difference between these other things that are really good Christian things and actually knowing Jesus. Paul says don't be corrupted from Jesus himself. Go to church, that's great. Read really good books by C.S. Lewis and other writers, that's great. But don't let those take the place of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Very simply, do you love Jesus more than anything else on this planet and are you growing closer to him every day? That's what I think a relationship with him is all about. He's number one. He's who I live for. I have a relationship with him. We'll go into what are some of the details of that relationship. But honestly, who's number one? Is he the reason I'm alive? Is he the reason that I have joy every day? Uh, Or is it those other things? Uh, That's what I desperately want. I don't know about you guys, but I desperately want every day to be growing closer to Jesus Christ. And I want that to be kind of the measure for whether it was a good day or a bad day. Did I grow closer to Jesus today or not? We're going to look a little bit at a guy in the Old Testament named Abraham. Most of you guys have heard Abraham. He is, I think, the only person in the entire Bible that God specifically, individually, by name, called his friend. And so I was thinking, if God was, you know, three times going to write in his word that this guy was his friend, what did this guy do that we could learn from? Why was it? Abraham called God's friend, and so we'll look a little bit at uh, Abraham's life. James two twenty three is one of those verses that talks about Abraham, and it says, "And the Scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend." Isn't that cool? So it started with believing God, and then it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend so why in the world was Abraham called God's friend what was so special about Abraham well the net verse right there <laughs> tells us the very first part and that was that Abraham believed him God told Abraham that he would become the father of a nation whose members and whose people would outnumber the sand of the sea that's, that's a huge nation now the problem is when, when God's telling Abraham this he's 75 years old he's not able to have children at that point. The Bible tells us in Romans that Sarah, Abraham's wife, was was basically her womb was dead, that she could not conceive and and have children. So God comes to this guy that can't have kids and says, and he has no kids, and he says, you're gonna be the father of a nation that's that is huge, right? The nation of Israel. It still exists on this planet today. Abraham is sitting here going, well, okay, (laughs) that's pretty amazing. And then God, beyond that, says, and I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to bless your children and, and the generations that come after so that they can be and so that you can be a blessing to every other people on earth. That's huge. So not only is he going to be the father of a great nation, but he's also going to be a blessing. And through him, the entire earth is going to be blessed. So if God told me something like that, I'd be going, how is that going to happen? Especially if I was in Abraham's shoes. You can read about that in Genesis 12, 2 through 3. It's an amazing story. But believing in him is foundational to a relationship with him. If we're going to have a relationship with Christ, it kind of starts with believing in him. Relate a lot of this to your own friendships. Terrell and Dan. Hey, Dan, what would you say if Terrell never believed you? Would that be much of a relationship? Hey, I got an A on my test. No, you didn't. You're not smart enough to get an A on your test. Right? That wouldn't be a very friendly way to act. That wouldn't work in a friendship. You'd probably quit hanging out together fairly soon. Well, with God, a lot of our relationship goes back to whether or not I'm going to believe Him on a daily basis. And that the rubber meets the road with that. Because there are times where it's not easy to believe God. If God says to trust Him for your finances, sometimes that's hard to believe Him for. Sometimes it's hard to believe Him that actually He could use you to share with somebody. Any of you ever been scared out of your mind to share with somebody? I think all of us have. Uh, Well... God can use you in that, and you have to believe him and step out in that. So that belief, that believing in God is foundational, I think, to relationship with him. Abraham loved God by spending time with him. That's important, too. Sarah and Nadine are great friends. What if you guys never spent time together at all? Probably wouldn't work out, right? Never. No time together. Even on the phone, no time whatsoever. The relationship probably would be pretty much non-existent. And that's kind of how it is with us and God. That's Abraham spent time with God, Genesis 12 through 25, several chapters, the entire time, talks about over and over and over how God and Abraham would meet, and they'd talk. And that is kind of the foundation of relationship. spending time together. That is a reason that in Master Plan, you're probably going to hear more times than you'd love, that it's important to have a daily quiet time. Because that's foundational for having a relationship with God, right? Spending time with Him. Aaron, my lovely wife in the back right there in the purple sweater, if I never spent time with her, we wouldn't have much of a relationship. It'd be pretty dull and boring. I get to spend time with her, and that is an exciting part of relationship. And without that, something would be missing. But how often is it easy for you in your walk with God, for me in my walk with God, To to kind of give him 10-15 minutes. Have you ever had a friend kind of shrug you off? I don't really want to hang out with you. I don't want to spend time with you. Doesn't that kind of hurt? How many times have we done that to God even this week? Yeah, God, I'll give you 5 minutes. 10 minutes. Or I'll I'll give you 30 minutes. And then I think I'm a really great person the rest of the day. That's sad. See, God is supposed to be the relationship that we talked about, the relationship versus religion. But if all he gets is 10, 15, 30 minutes of my day, that's a sad state of affairs for my life. And too often it's true, I think, for me and many of us here. He wants our lives. He wants a relationship with us. And part of that involves spending time with him on a daily basis. Abraham loved God by communicating with him. What if you never talked with your friend? Paul and Andy, right? Wasn't it Andy? Okay, Andy, what if uh, Paul never talked to you ever? That'd be kind of weird. You probably wouldn't get along too well. What if you said, Hey, Paul, how's your day going? He just kind of walked away. Say, that guy's a jerk. I never want to talk to him again as long as I live. But see, in a relationship, you don't do that. You talk, it goes two ways. You talk to him, he talks to you. That's kind of the foundation for a relationship. Isn't that true? That is exactly what Abraham did with God. All through Genesis 12 through 25, Abraham would speak with God and, and God would speak to him. Even to the point where he would almost argue or barter with God, if God is going to destroy Sodom, Abraham says, God, please have mercy on that city. And they talk and talk and talk and talk back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Abraham was pleading for that city. There is real communication going on between the two. And the Bible talks to us about prayer. First Thessalonians five seventeen says, "Pray continually." So the Bible tells us talk to God continually. So I think it's great to start off your day with some time talking to God or praying. But throughout the day, you could be in a test, you could be at work, you could be studying, you could have some boring professor talking to you. Throughout the day, you can be talking to God. Praying for people around you. Just talking to him. him, Telling him that you love him. Praying is huge, and it's a huge part of our walk with God. What all somebody does is talk to you, and they never listen. Wouldn't that kind of not be fun? Communication has to go both ways. We need to read the Word. You've heard it said probably that how you treat God is no different than how you treat His Word. And that's very true. How do you treat God's Word? God's Word is the primary way that He speaks to us. And if I'm not getting in the Word on a daily basis, it's like I'm talking, talking, talking to God, and then I'm saying, okay, but you don't need to speak to me. Again, that's not the type of thing that a friend does. But I do it too often to God. Getting in His Word is vital. His Word is a vital part of how I live, grow, develop in my walk with Him. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So his word is alive and it's working in me and it's making me into the person that God wants me to be. That's a huge thing. It's God speaking directly to me through this awesome Bible that he has prepared for us. Part of communication requires that I listen to God. And that is the predominant way He speaks to each one of us, is through His Word. So, communicate with God. Get in His Word. Pray. Talk to Him continually throughout the day. That's huge. Abraham loved God by obeying Him. Genesis 22, 1-18 through 18 was one example where Abraham obeyed God in a huge way. I'm going to give you two. And this was Abraham and Isaac. Isaac... Fast forward from the beginning of the story. It was the son that God gave Abraham that he promised he would give him. Now, after that, God tells Abraham, go sacrifice, kill your son. But instead of arguing with God, he says he's going to do it, right? So he takes Isaac, and they leave home, and he goes to sacrifice Isaac. And uh, God provides a ram, a goat, to sacrifice instead. But Abraham was obedient to what God had called him to. And God was testing him to see where his obedience or where his allegiance lied. And so one of the things that that obedience always involves is sacrifice. Too many times we we hear that the Christian walk, this relationship with God is just a feel-good deal. I get it. A free gift of salvation, that is true. Salvation is free. And one of the speakers at DCC this last week was telling us, Salvation is free, but it's not cheap. And that is true. It cost God his life. It cost Jesus his life on the cross. Your salvation is free to you, but it was not cheap for God. Right? In Act, it says that God purchased the church with his own blood. He paid for us with a dear price. So it wasn't cheap. Oftentimes, it will involve sacrifice in my life. Probably on a daily basis as I begin to die to myself. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, he said... If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So there's a daily sacrifice that has to go on in my walk with God. And that hurts. Sacrifice isn't fun. It hurts. My flesh dies. That's part of being obedient to Christ. Why do you do what you do? Obedience is a way of showing God that we love Him. 1 John uh, 3.18 It says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. John is saying, don't love God with words and tongue. So many times, you know, I'll go to church and maybe the song that's up on the transparency is, you know, all about how much I love God and I surrender everything to Him and He's everything and nothing else competes with Him. Sometimes I just quit singing. I just sit there and I pray and I'm like, God, give me that heart. That's what I want. I want to love you like that song says, but I know I don't. There are other things that compete with you. You're not number one in my life far too many times. How am I going to show God I love Him? It's through, a lot of times, what I do for Him. Why is evangelism a big push in Master Plan? A bunch of students for years past will say, "Well, you know, Master Plan is always doing the evangelism, 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 evangelism. They're so focused on things like that. What about just loving God? Well, that is loving God. In Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations. Your father, if you're Savior, your Lord, said, go and make disciples of all nations. He called you to be multiplying for eternity. That is part of showing Him that you love Him is obeying what He's called you to. In my marriage, again, if Aaron told me, Hey, Nate, get out of a, a discipleship appointment at 3 o'clock. Could you pick me up at campus? And I just say... Yeah, I'll be there. And then I don't do it, right? <laughs> Let's say I, I totally blow it off and I just sit at home and uh, watch a movie instead. And later she hitchhikes and gets home. What's the conversation going to be like when she gets in? Right? <laughs> no, I won't be asking. What if I told her, hey, baby, don't, man. I was loving you by thinking about you here on the couch. <laughs> right? That does not fly. But so many times we think that flies with God. It's like, man, we have an awesome worship time or we just worship for four hours. Oh, well, that's wonderful. God also said, hey, there's a whole world going to hell and you're the one that has to reach that world. Do you love me enough to reach them? Do you love me enough to get out of a comfort zone and obey me? It goes back to obedience. Uh, it also involves surrender on a daily basis. There are things in my life that I need to surrender Okay, how many of you guys know what circumcision is? <laughs> Everybody's like, <clears throat> Yeah. Okay, in Genesis 17, Abraham is 90, right? And God says, hey, Abraham. This is another time where they're talking and communicating. And God says, hey, I want you to go circumcise yourself and all the, the males that are with you. Abraham does it. I don't think that was probably an easy thing to do. It probably involved a lot of pain. You men would definitely understand what I'm talking about. So anyway, but obedience to God, loving God, involves surrender of things we don't want to lose. Isn't that true? There are going to be times in your walk with God where God says, Look, this thing, it's not supposed to be there, and I don't want it there. And you might go, yeah, that's this thing that I've been loving for a long time. I'm sure that's what Abraham was thinking. I don't want to cut that off. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Jeremiah 4.4 4 brings this into real life terms. God says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts. Right? How many things are in my heart that compete with God for his attention? And God says, circumcise it. Cut it out of there. I don't want it in your heart anymore. It doesn't need to be there. That's the thing. God will call us to surrender things, to give up things in this life that might be very dear to us, but He will replace it with Himself, which is a lot better than any of those things could ever be. Why do you do what you do? Obedience to God is a way of showing Him our love for Him. And I don't care how fervently you sing or how fervently you pray and how great it feels for however many hours, if you're not sharing your faith, are you really loving God? If, and I'm. See, we don't want to get into legalism, right? Galatians 5:1 says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. But still, God has called us to certain things, and if we truly love Him, we will obey Him. He says that you are, my friends, if you do what I command, right? So that's how we show Him that we love Him, is if we do what He commands. Another way that Abraham, a final way that Abraham loved God was by loving other people. Right? Isn't that true? Is it possible to love God without loving other people? I don't think so. Uh, Genesis thirteen eight through 13 is a little passage, one example, where Abraham uh, basically is given an opportunity. He's traveling with his nephew Lot. Abraham is given all his land, basically. And he gets to pick where he wants to live. And and he goes with Lot, and Abraham has preference. And Abraham says, look, you pick where you want to live. You want that side, I'll go to this side. You want to go there, I'll go to the other place. He basically says to Lot, he goes, you take what you want, I'll take the second best. He put Lot's good above his own, and he did not have to. And he gives his nephew first choice. He says, you get to go first. So he's. And that's truly what love is. It's putting somebody else's good above your own. Love is a verb. It's actually putting somebody else's good above my own. First John four twenty through 21 says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. One way of loving God is by loving other people. Those are a few different ways that Abraham showed God his love. And I think that they're all going to apply to our lives. Everything in our relationship is a response to God's love. Proverbs 18.24 says that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus Christ himself. 1 John 4.19 says that we love him because he first loved us. We're just responding to his love, which he showed us through actions too, by dying on the cross. Uh, Jeremiah 31.3, this is one of my favorite verses. It says he's loved you with an everlasting love. Never, ever began. Noah, imagine this. God's love for you individually never began. You can't comprehend it. There was never a point where God's love started for Noah. For all of eternity, God's loved you, Noah. I mean, that's huge. For all of eternity, he has loved you. That's an amazing thing. It never began, and it will never end. It's an eternal love that he loves you with. Jesus said in John fifteen fifteen, he says, I have called you friends. So I want to contrast that with me. In the beginning, I mean the only people in the Bible, probably I think the only person in the Bible that's ever referred to by name as being God's friend is Abraham. That's a pretty big privilege to be, to be called God's friend. And now, fast forward a couple thousand years, and Jesus says, "Hey, you, Brian, you're my friend. Hey, David, you're my friend. Justin, you're my friend. And that huge Amy, you're my friend." So, the, the this place that Abraham, the only person in all the old, old Testament, held as being God's friend. Now, each one of us gets the privilege to have that same relationship with Christ, to be called His friend. Everything that God intends to do in your life will come out of that friendship. How do you start a relationship with Christ? I'm sure that there are some in here that don't have that relationship with Jesus yet. Basically, the Bible tells you that He loves you. I read a few of the verses. He loves you with an everlasting love. Whether or not you've ever accepted Him as your Savior and Lord, He still loves you with an everlasting love. And He has a plan for your life. But there's a problem. We're all sinful, each and every one of us. It basically just means that we've done our own thing, we've gone our own way, we're selfish. We put our good above his good. We do that, I think, on a daily basis. And so that sin separates us from God, just like I talked about earlier, how if your friend doesn't respond to you, doesn't talk to you, doesn't listen to you, doesn't spend time with you, if your friend doesn't do any of those things, you're probably not going to want to be around him very much. It's going to separate you. You're not going to be close friends. In In the same way, our sin has separated us from God, every single one of us. The Bible says there's not one of us that hasn't sinned. All of us have, and it separates us from God. But there is hope. Jesus Christ himself, God himself, became a human being and died on the cross to pay for all of our sin so that through him we could have a relationship with Christ so that we could be his friends. And that relationship involves being with him for eternity. So when I die on this planet, in the bleak of night, I'm with him in eternity for the rest of eternity. But it also involves a lot more. It involves an abundant, meaningful, satisfying, fulfilling an awesome life on this planet. doesn't mean everything will always be perfect, but it means that when I die, I will have had one heck of a life. Uh, all that is what He wants, but there's something you need to do first, and that is every single one of us has to personally accept Him. We each have to personally receive that gift He gives. When we accept Him, He comes into our life. Revelation 3.20, Jesus Himself says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. So, if you've never received Christ in your life, he's standing at the door right now knocking. Maybe you've heard that knock. And he's saying, "I want love. I want to have that relationship with you." And when you simply pray and say, "Jesus, come into my life, forgive my sins." He does that. He forgives your sins, he comes into your life, and he starts that relationship with you. And that relationship will never end but a lost for all of eternity. So what are the results of a relationship with God? Well, we believe in Him. John 3.16 says we will never perish but have everlasting life with Him. That's a big result. John 10.10 10 again says that we'll have an abundant life on this planet through that relationship and we'll accomplish the eternally significant plan and purpose that He has for our lives here on this planet. Now, remember I talked about Abraham having a purpose for his life that was way bigger and anything he could humanly achieve. And God achieved that purpose through that relationship that they had together. That's the same way it is with me and you. Each of us has a purpose, the Bible tells us. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says he has a plan for your life. And it's a good plan. A plan to prosper you, not to harm you. To give you a future and a hope. It's probably better than any other plan for your life you've ever heard. There's no buts, there's no ifs. It's solid. Because I have that plan for your life. How do we achieve that? Well, we have a daily relationship with him. Hebrews 12.2 says we keep our eyes on Jesus. John 15.5, Jesus says if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Right. So what does it mean to abide somewhere? Any English major here? It means to live in. It doesn't end when you leave the building. We live there. If you go visit somebody for half an hour and then leave, you're not abiding there. Jesus said if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. So abide with him every second day. Talk with him. Read his word. Have that continual relationship with him. All this kind of boils down to Jesus' own words in Mark 12:30 30 through 31. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. What does it mean to love God with all my heart? My heart is what my emotions, what I feel, what I want, what I desire, my appetites. God says, love me with all of that. Uh, What does it mean to love God with all your soul? Who you see yourself as? Your image? Well, I love Him with all that stuff. My mind, what do I choose to think about throughout the day? Do I love Him there? With my strength, with my actions, with what I do, do I love Him there? That's the kind of love that God wants from us. It's comprehensive. It involves every aspect of my life. And then He also says, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than those two. Is that where you're at right now? Far too rarely is that we're on at. Philippians 2.21 sadly really describes me way too often. That says everyone looks after his own interests and not the interests of Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? Does that ever define you? I look after my own interests and not the interests of Jesus Christ. That's way too sad, but it's it's really true for a lot of us. Kind of just getting down to brass tacks. Are you believing in him? And I don't mean that means that you never have a dog. But are you choosing to step out believing that He is true, even if it doesn't feel like it's going to happen? And choosing to believe Him. Are you spending time with Him on a daily basis? Are you talking with Him? Are you praying? How's your prayer life? My prayer life is not where it needs to be. Uh, are you listening to Him? How, what, how much time am I getting in the Word? Am I really getting in the Word and hearing what God has to say to me? Are you obeying Him? I think this is kind of a crux. You cannot love him without obeying him. Again, that is why we focus on things like evangelism, like reaching this campus for Christ. That's what he himself told me to do. And if I choose not to do it, I'm choosing not to obey God. And if I choose not to obey God, that shows me whether or not I really honestly do love him. And I'd have to say I don't if I don't obey him. Are you loving God by loving other people around you? Do you come first or do the people around you come first?
1: Has anyone else or
0: anything else taken his place? This is kind of hard, but I think it's so good for us to think through. Has anything become more important to me than Jesus Christ himself? In Revelations 2, 4-5, through 5, Jesus says, You have forsaken your first love, first most important love in my life. I he says, We've forsaken it. He goes, Remember the height from which you fell and repent. Repent means change your thought, change the way you're thinking. Doesn't mean you become perfect overnight, which too many people think it means. It basically means, yeah, Jesus, I realize I haven't always made you number one. And I haven't ever been a good friend to you, like you have been to me. And starting today, I simply want to be a good friend. I want to change the way I treat you, Jesus. Anything else, James four four says, says, Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? So often I want to be trendy, I want to be accepted, I want to be loved by my peers, by the world. I don't want to look stupid, I don't want to look like one of those outrageous Christians that go around witnessing everything that moves. Sometimes I have this image problem, right? James said. I mean, yeah, James says, that's hatred towards God. That's hatred towards God. Remember something, though, this is really cool uh, a cool verse. If that's where any of you are, and if that's where I am, and it is far too often... First John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the second I say, God, I'm sorry, fellowship with Him is completely restored. There's a freedom again in that fellowship with God. So, just to close, Jeremiah 30.21 says, Who is He who will devote Himself to be close to me? So who is He that's going to devote Himself to be close to me? Right now tonight? Are you the person that's going to devote yourself to be close to God and what will that take? It's going to distract you from him and what do you need to surrender to him tonight?